1: Welcome back, everybody, to another Basement Binge episode. Or if this is your first, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Super exciting to get into this episode. It's going to be completely spoiler free. It's going to be a little bit shorter than normal. We're not going to have all the typical segments that we do to be able to keep it spoiler free about the new film that was just released today. The day I'm recording this, Reminiscence just got back from watching it. Wrote down my thoughts and recording it immediately because I didn't want to work on something else and have it interrupt my thoughts about this. This was a film that my excitement on it has been kind of off and on. I remember when I saw the initial trailer, I was kind of like, oh, cool, like, eh. And I just thought, cool, and then moved on. And then my good friend, Cade, who long-time listeners of the show now, was one of the original tri he was super excited about it. And his excitement made me more excited. And then just kind of diffed up. And then I saw it was coming in theaters. I was like, I love Hugh Jackman. I love Rebecca Ferguson. Cade likes it. I'm going to go see it. And so I went to go see it. It, uh, yeah, let's talk about it. So again, completely spoiler free here. Let you know if you, you should go see it. So it's the directorial debut, at least for a movie of Lisa Joy. You probably know her as a co-creator, writer, director, and producer of some of the Westworld episodes. So the film is written and directed by her and produced by her husband, Jonathan Nolan, who is Christopher Nolan's brother, who's been a co-writer on many of Nolan's films. So he's producing Reminiscence and it's directed and written by his wife and the two of them together have created Westworld, so that's probably where you know them. Anyway, directorial debut for her. And directorial debuts are difficult. And this film, as of right now, literally the day, just like I said, it came out today and I got home and I'm recording this. As of right now on Rotten Tomatoes, at the time of recording, it's sitting at 36%. It just came out today. It's only got 101 reviews from critics. And the thing is, it was at 46% when I was writing this, and then I just refreshed the page, and it dropped a whole 10%. I don't know if that was Rotten Tomatoes' website fault or whatever. Maybe more people were logging their reviews. I'm not sure, but it dropped a whole 10%. I mean, 36%, that is low. Like, man, I don't like 46 that's almost 50 but 36 that's so low. Anyway, so here's a little blurb that they give on Rotten Tomatoes. Although Reminiscence isn't lacking narrative ambition, its uncertain blend of sci-fi action and noir thriller mostly provokes memories of better films. And man, who in the world writes these little blurb things? They're so well-written and, and quippy and, and sassy almost. They're fantastically written. Anyway, yeah, 36%, 70, or 7.1 or out of 10 on IMDb, and 2.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Okay, so here's a little synopsis of the film, and then we'll get into my thoughts of it. Nick Bannister, who's played by Hugh Jackman, is a private investigator of the mind, navigates the darkly allured world of the past by helping his clients access lost memories. Living on the fringes of the sunken Miami coast, his life is forever changed when he takes on a new client, May, played by Rebecca Ferguson. A simple matter of lost and found becomes a dangerous obsession. As Bannister fights to find the truth about May's disappearance, he uncovers a violent conspiracy and must ultimately answer the question how far would you go to hold on to the ones you love now that we've gotten all that formal stuff out of the way what do i actually think about it and the thing is for me it it mostly works i actually really really enjoyed it i mean it's totally forgettable and i don't really think anybody's going to be talking about it a a year from now let alone a few months from now but we're not a few months from now we are right now and right now i liked it i enjoyed watching in the theater like I said, my expectations and excitement about it had kind of waxed and waned and, and it was probably at like a midpoint as I went into the theater and I went out, left, you know, completely satisfied and my expectations a little bit exceeded. It has this great neo-noir aspect and that's the strongest part of the film. Hugh Jackman is a fantastic lead and I would love to see him in this type of role more because he he, he in the film he plays a private investigator who's also... A Navy vet, you know, it's it's in the future. Obviously, a lot of individuals are drafted there in the war. Part of the film, anyway, it has he has this harshness and brashness that works well for this type of character, and really feels like it fits the the genre of an, a noir film really well. And Hugh Jackman plays it exceptionally well. Now, it is a sci-fi, but there there isn't much sci-fi to it. It's it's a mystery. And thriller using sci-fi elements. I mean, it's, it's not about the sci-fi. The sci-fi elements are just there. This ability to look into the past is just like it, it's just like clues or whatever, right? It, it, that's not what this film was about. It just happens to be in the world of this film. And, and same things with the romance. This is definitely not a romance either, and it's kind of misleading the way the trailers portray it to be. It is mainly a neo noir mystery and and noir is a fantastic way to describe it like that's not a negative thing that's really positive it's just have the right idea when you do go see this in addition to that on the sci-fi aspect it also has these ideas about waves rising and war starting right that's in the trailers mentioned and it's really just there to flesh out the world and create the environment for this mystery to happen and, and for this this case so to speak to take place it creates a premise of the flooding to tell the story it needs to to have the, the world be affected by it the way it needs to, and to create the conflict. Uh, but it just leaves it at that. It's a presence. Uh, but it just leaves it at that. It's a premise, and, and it doesn't need to be more than that, and it works, actually. And, and watching Hugh Jackman wade through that, chasing after clues and love, is actually incredibly engaging. The writing is really hit or miss. I like the story. I like the neo-noir aspect of it, but the dialogue is pretty bad. It, it, it's constant exposition dumps and narration. And I appreciate that one of my pet peeves in films that do have narration is that it starts with narration and then like totally drops it just to bring it back for the conclusion. And, and this doesn't do that. So it has narration frequently throughout the film. It, it feels natural in kind of the, the mo not mode. It feels natural in the mood and atmosphere that it creates. You know, Hugh Jackman's voice coming over just kind of fits in the mood well but its narration and the way the narration comes across and the and the words that are being spoken do feel cheap but the story is fun and the world is a great one with this reminiscence tech that could make for some great noir crime thrillers like this world and the way that this technology affects crime solving and and mystery is actually kind of cool and it it works well in that aspect of the film now something else about it that's really great is the performances they are all fantastic Hugh Jackman as Nick he is phenomenal he really has a lot of range like I said he has that that harshness and the sternness and almost like a a coldness cut off to so much but also like a a vulnerability to him when he needs to be and strong emotion that in the times when it does rely on love and that romance works really well Rebecca Ferguson I know I don't need to say this, but she's captivating as always, and she also sings in this film. So look forward to that. The surprise performance for me, though, was actually Daniel Wu. I had no idea it was in this film. He shows up and, and really kind of surprised me. He plays a mob boss of sorts in this tough area of town, a little bit of a ghetto, and he has a great screen presence and a, a threateningness. It doesn't sound like a right word, but threateningness to him. I totally love him, and I love the character that he plays and the way he plays him. And at watching the film, I kept trying to remember what have I seen this actor in before? And I came home and I had to look it up and it was in Tomb Raider, the new one with Alicia Vikander that my wife loves and completely different roles that he plays in the two films. And this guy has some great range. I really loved the way he played his character in this film. Now to switch from a high point in the performances, which really are fantastic from everybody involved. I love the performances. They're they're strong and it does have an A-list cast and uses them, I think, pretty well. I mean, Rebecca Ferguson is a little bit wasted, because she's she's not in the film as much as I expected, but when she is in the film, she's crushing it. She's, she's great. Got me super, even more excited for Dune, but she's fantastic. Anyway, back to the low point of this film. The editing, sadly, is not great. Mark, I mean, I mispronounced his last name, Yoshikawa, who did the editing... He did the editing for Tree of Life, if you know anything about that film. You can feel that same type of editing trying to find its way into reminiscence, but it just doesn't work. And so there's this sporadic and unnecessary, completely meaningless cuts that just don't work with the noir aspect of this. It's like trying to create something that's not there and it just doesn't work and feels completely unnecessary. And and there's like two particular cuts that I couldn't even describe what it cuts to for half a second, just, you know, these, these really cinematic, moody sun shots, you know, with, with objects in the foreground, and you know. When they happened in the theater, I was like, why, why was that in the final cut? Like, why is that there? It, it just feels completely unnecessary and, and makes it feel pretentious. But I feel like that's more of the directing choice and not so much the editing choice. Either way, the editing does have its good moments, that actually really, really work, particularly with like the emotion and the constant like ebb and flow of memories and reality and the way that it allows those things to be bent and blurred that adds to this story in a really great way and, and builds this world well and helps you be engrossed in it. it, does that really, really well. But there's other times that it's just bad and pretentious. The action that because it's surprisingly And in the the second half or or second act, uh, that's edited pretty well. I mean, it's it's not horrible and it's actually pretty good. But those moments where it's trying to do something just feels pretentious and completely unnecessary. And in addition to that, it drove me nuts in the theater. I almost started counting, but I didn't. I almost did. It cuts to black so many times. It's like the direction just didn't know how to change. And so it's like, okay, we got to move on to another start of part of the story. Let's just cut to black and then have a Hugh Jackman voice come in all silky smooth. And it just happens way too frequently. Kind of took me out there. Now back on a high point of the film. Well, not high point, kind of, again, a midpoint. The music done by Raman Jawadi, who, who, I probably totally mispronounced his name. Anyway, he's done the music for Iron Man and Pacific Rim. And I mentioned those two films specifically in his entire composing catalog. Because I want to give you the idea of the type of sound you're going to get with this film, those two films in particular really match this, and that this composer is really great at creating this gritty toughness and atmosphere with the guitar riffs and and like the strength of them. And I love the guitar light motif he creates in this film; works really, really well. In addition, I looking at his IMDb page, I also found out he's composing for Eternals, which that's exciting. But anyway back on reminiscence the the guitar line motifs in this work really really well and for the character nick who's played by hugh jackman and, and just the world we're in and, and i liked it in addition to that the credit song the way that it comes in and, and it fades to black and this is directed by lisa joy and it, it works well and adds to the atmosphere and the conclusion so well and i, I actually really really enjoy the credit song and that's I feel like that song, if you're just listening to it without seeing the film, kind of helps you understand what I'm talking about the most. But the reason I said that this is just kind of midpoint is because there's other moments where the score, mainly when it's not being a guitar riff, just doesn't work. It kind of just goes by the books, forgettable thing, mostly in the moments of drama or tension. Now, it could have been that I was in a... uh, showing that had subtitles I had no idea until it had like a little disclaimer before and the subtitles were on the whole film didn't, didn't bother me it was actually nice sometimes when I couldn't understand what they were saying but anyway the, the subtitles and the way they are explaining the music in those moments of tension probably didn't help but it, it it doesn't have the strength that it does when it is being that gritty guitar riff and so the, kind of the contrast and the inconsistency makes it a, a weaker point now, jumping back to the story and, and something that works really good for it is the mystery of it, you know, because it is a noir film, the way that they're chasing after clues and and the, the crime and, and all that that nature of it. The mystery and the way that it's revealed works in a really fun way. I didn't see a lot of it coming, and I, maybe I could have, but I, I wasn't trying to figure it out, and that's actually a good thing. The, the dialogue is bad, particularly in the moments of exposition, but it's not horrendous to the point where you're totally drawn out of the film. I wasn't. I was willing to just... Be engaged and let the explanation happen, so that I could understand. So that the, that the audience as a whole could understand. Because when you're bringing people into this new world, an original film with original ideas, and the understanding of this world we're in is crucial to understand the progression of things. Like you got to explain it, and it's hard to explain it in a way that everybody would understand when you're trying to reach a larger audience. So I was willing and okay to go along with it and kind of look past that, and to go on a journey as Hugh Jackman's character says, frequently through the film and in the trailer. I, I was willing to do it. Now, the lines including that one I just kind of described, they're very purpley, but it feels intentional and, and really kind of goes for it. And for that, I also respect it. But the exposition, again, is not great. But again, it's kind of understandable. So, so jumping back to what I was saying, the way that the mystery is revealed is kind of slow. And there's areas of it that just, you don't expect to be involved. Like, like, aspects of the film that I just kind of thought were there meant different things than I thought they were. And like, that's another problem with expectation is that it like feels so on the nose and then it's not what you think it is. And it's just kind of interesting. Um, and things that I didn't think were involved that I just thought were kind of like setting up the atmosphere and the environment and the world of the film were actually more significant than I anticipated. So that was just interesting. In addition, these just types of films as where our main character is, is following along in this unique way, this circumstance that they're not directly involved in, that they become involved in, yada, yada, yada. It, it does that noir aspect really well. So it, describing it as a neo-noir is actually a great compliment to it because it's doing that really well. And it also has a unique ending to just kind of close this out here. It, it's not a typical conclusion. It's, it's not really neat or clean. It's kind of unmessy. messy definitely not happy. And it's imperfect. And it does leave us with proper closure. Like it's not completely without closure. But at the same time, it does leave a little bit of uncertainty and a lack of closure. And I appreciate for that. There's there's a few good lines in the film that really kind of hinted this. And this isn't a spoiler in any way. It's just a an interaction between Nick, Hugh Jackman's character, and May, Rebecca Ferguson's character, and you know, in their, the moment of their romance. And she says, tell me story. He says, what kind of story? She says, one with a happy ending. And he says, well, all endings are sad, especially if the story is happy. And she says, well, then tell me a happy story and end it in the middle. And that really sums up the film. It's an ending both to the film, right? But also to the story. And it's not a happy story. And the ending isn't happy. It's clearly the end of the film it's not trying to not be the end it's clearly the end but what it is trying to do is to be reminiscent about the middle about those moments of happiness while also recognizing and admitting this is the end that isn't happy and i appreciate the film for doing that for two reasons it's bold to do that and it fits the characters and the story and the theme really well again being a neo-noir i keep saying that but it's because it really does it so well but it's difficult because that way of ending doesn't work with our brains in the way that we like to have stories close. I mean, we enjoy closure and conclusion, and it's there, but it's messy and not totally clean, so it just naturally makes the ending a bit unstable, and that's just difficult as an audience. But again, fitting the description that I've been giving this neo-noir really well and fitting the story well to the point where, while I do feel that it's a little bit unstable, I appreciate that they were willing to do that and not just go the safe route. Now, something else that the story does have going for really well, and, you know, a little fall-in segment I'm going to have here, is the powerful truce that it reveals about missing key moments of change because we're stuck in the past, right? This film has a lot about using memories and looking in the past. You know, go watch the trailer if you haven't already to understand it a little bit more. But there, there is a need we all have to move forward. And while this truth that is revealed isn't by no means the main focus of the film, it's more so just a truth that is being pointed out and, you know, recognized naturally because of the story and while well, not being the focus of the story. But I do want to talk about it nonetheless because I do like it. And, and talking about this, you know, how... We can get stuck in the past and, and miss moments of change. And, and we need to recognize and need to move forward. Kind of As I was driving home, in my car alone made me think about this oversimplification of mental illness, particularly depression and anxiety that I've heard a lot. Now, it is an extreme oversimpl- oversimplification, but it actually works quite well in, in being understandable. And that was, I'm not going to get the exact words right, but some along the lines of it, with depression, it's too big of a focus on the past, and anxiety is too big of a focus in the future, and that both of them prevent you from properly living in the now. And so the only way to properly navigate those two things is to live right now. Now again, extreme oversimplification. But I was thinking about that as I was driving home, because I have a depression. It's something that I've been discovering this year, and, and finding ways to get better at, 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 at overcoming and one of the ways that it affects me the most and it has through my entire life is I frequently look back on the past with disappointment and shame. And it's because there's things in my life that I've done that I'm not like pleased about. Like there, there's things I wish I would have done better, you know, mistakes I wish I wouldn't have repeated. Those types of things like all of us do. But for me, it's hard to not define myself by that because I look and it's, it's hard to live up to your potential and to live up to your future when you're haunting yourself right now with your negative perception of yourself through the lens of the past that you're focused on. You're worried that the future can't get better because you haven't been better. And then the other side of that, my wife, she has anxiety, and I hope she's okay with me talking about it. It's something that has been a part of our relationship since the moment we dated. And as responsibilities increase, it seems like that gets harder and harder for her because her focus is on the future and a lot of uncertainty and worry about it. She looks to the past to try and calm this uncertainty, but it just creates more uncertainty because the past isn't perfectly smooth. You know, she looks at it hoping to bring into her life now the bliss from before, worried that the future can't be as good as she had before, that the future won't be better or that the future can't be as good. But despite those two focuses that either of us have or whatever's oversimplification you want to put yourself in, you know, and, and you don't have to have the, the clinical mental illness to fit in one of those categories. We all do it in so many ways. There's a line from the film that says the, the, the I th- I'm gonna mispronounce, missay it. The past is an addiction or something like that, right? How we're, we are addicted to the past. And, and it's true. But despite that, the future approaches all of us the same. The, And it's not ever going to get better or be better if we aren't there for it. If we miss opportunities with our minds looking back for better or for worse, we're not going to be able to change. Yeah, It's interesting talking about this, especially just a day after I just released an episode about why I love the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies that the previous episodes were on. And a lot of it was looking back and feeling a lot of gratitude, like genuine, really uplifting, powerful gratitude. And so memories are powerful and are a helpful thing, but it requires a careful touch and a commitment to the future and not to the past. I mean, Hugh Jackman's character literally misses something that could have completely changed the story because he was genuinely living in the past through the reminiscence technology. And his, his living and hope for what was in the past makes him not want to live right now and not want to have to deal with right now. And so he chooses to ignore. And because of that, it, it leads into a bunch of sad events. But to continue my thought before I get too distracted, he also, as the film progresses, has to look to the past to change the future. He, he has to confront the past to learn He couldn't have changed the future without looking back and learning from it, getting those hints. So I think the key is, if I simplify it as much as I can, is to look back to learn and to change and to to recognize moments of goodness and not goodness and to be even better because of it, but not to look back to live there. We, We have to move on. And I was not expecting to like really be uplifted and reminded by that important message in the theater. Like I was just kind of expecting to go see a movie. I didn't really expect it to have a good theme. And again, this isn't the focus of the film. It just really does feel like a truth that naturally comes to my mind as it's on my mind. And just naturally is going to come up in the conversation when we talk about a film that's really focused on characters looking in the past. So all of that being said, What are kind of my concluding thoughts about the film? I guess we'll tack it on here, completely spoiler-free still. Pick your poison. So this is the segment out of the Basement Binge where it's based off a made-up rating system that I created with Kate and Kelton. It's based off four options. Instead of, you know, out of stars or something like that, or percentage, based off this watch that we just had of the film, how would we interact it again? Bottom of the list, lowest ranking, never watch it again totally self-explanatory. Above that is to stream it. It's on a streaming service you're already paying for. You're looking for something to watch. You'd be willing to watch it again. Above that is rent. In the right circumstance, you'd be willing to pay a few dollars You know, on Vudu or Prime or wherever you choose to rent, Apple, iTunes, or on the top of the list, buy it. Blu-ray, digital, however you want to buy it, full price, watch as many times as you want. And for me, this is kind of in between a stream and a rent. But the thing is, it's only going to be a rent with the right amount of people who haven't seen it before. That would be the most fun. You know, you're watching it again with someone who has seen it, I, I, I think I would prefer to watch something else with them. But if someone's like, oh, I haven't seen this, and, and I, it's a film that I know they would like, like with Cade, for example, or other friends and family who I know would like this type of thing, I would totally watch it with them, without a doubt, be willing to rent it. For me though just me like completely alone would i revisit this film yeah i would stream it but not for a long time like i'm not like i don't i'm not going to put a time stamp on it but it's not going to be something i'm going to be revisiting really soon but by no means i'm like oh my gosh it's horrible i'm never going to watch it again so if i were to explain a little bit more outside of the confines of pick your poison yeah i really really did enjoy it if if you want to see a rating out of five stars, you can go to my letterbox, which I'll have a review of the film, and that's linked in the show notes. It's out of five stars. You can see how many I gave it. Because the thing is, I mostly enjoy this film, and I feel like what I was just talking about in Pick Your Poison made it seem like I did not I, I really, really did enjoy the film. I have no regrets about going to see it. In fact, I'm really glad that I did see it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the performances. I enjoyed the music. I enjoyed the neo-noir aspect that I keep talking about. I enjoyed the theme that I just talked about. But it's not going to be one of those films you just revisit over and over again. And that's completely fine. Like some films are worth revisiting and some aren't. But that doesn't take away from how it's worth it the first time. And this one 100% is. So if you're kind of on the fence deciding to go see this film or not, hopefully this episode helped you to decide. If I could urge you, I would tell you to go see it. One, supporting original films is a, always a great thing. Supporting new directors is always a great thing. And I, and I have a soft spot for new directors. You know, as someone who also, like, tries to create things, I, I want people's first attempt to be supported, even if it's not perfect. But all of that aside, I think you will enjoy it. It's fun to watch Hugh Jackman, Rebecca Ferguson. They're great. They're tantalizing as ever. And, and if you let it be what it is, that it's not so much a romance, it's not so much a sci-fi, but it's, it's a neo-noir with those elements kind of peppered in to make that noir aspect work in this setting, you're going to enjoy it because Hugh Jackman's great at carrying you through that journey, even with the stumbles that all the other aspects of the film have. So yeah, I recommend that you see it. If you don't want to go to the theaters, it's also on HBO Max. Check it out there before it leaves. I would recommend it. I really, really would. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. Hopefully it helped you decide if you're going to go see it or not. Or if you've already seen the film, hopefully it kind of helped you wrap up your thoughts so you could better explain it to someone when they ask you about it on Monday, what you did over the weekend. So, thank you so much for listening to the Basin Binge. If you want to support the show in any way, all of the ways to do that are in the show notes. Obviously, the biggest one is subscribe. Keep downloading new episodes coming. Go check back on some other episodes that you want to go listen to. I don't know. Maybe go listen to the Inception episode. Maybe go listen to the Interstellar episode if you're thinking, if you want to be in the Nolan family some more. Uh, there's also ways that you can donate to the show through Linktree right now. That's something I just get set up. Appreciate that. It really, really is helpful. Uh, additionally, if you want to support the show in a free way, podchasercom slash binge, Go leave a review on this specific episode. That's something that I love about PodChaser is it allows you to review this specific episode. So podchasercom slash binge, Of course, in the show notes, leave a review on the episode. I really, really would appreciate it. But anyway, my name is Harrison. This is The Basin Binge, and that is all for now. Ciao, ciao.